Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Talent Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host today, Nikki Patterson, Chief Growth Officer at, at Solutions Driven. I'm also delighted to, to welcome Jonathan Eilert, uh, VP of UK and Ireland at Cognizant. Jonathan, how are you today? Good, thank you, Nikki. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast today. Listen, super excited to have you on as a guest. We have obviously some mutual friends at Cognizant. It's a company I've known uh, a lot about over the years. It's a company on an amazing trajectory and and you're an individual that's been on a super journey over the last five, six years with Cognizant. So really excited to to get into to your brain a little bit, understand the, you know, the global machine that is Cognizant uh, and touch on some exciting points as well. So So thanks very much for your time. Cool. Look forward to it, Nicky. So some of the topics that we're going to talk about today, I guess, you know, first and foremost, the fact that you've been at Cognizant for five or six years, I think I'm the same at Solutions Driven and, and quite rare in, in business today, right? And and I guess the sales side of things, the go-to-market side of things, people are moving all over the place. So really understand why you are still there and how things have been going for, for you guys, creating that, you know, high-performance environment, talking about the steps that you've put in place and the foundations you've put in place to be successful and and really how you motivate that team to to success that and of course how do we tie that all back into to talent um so so ready to jump right in yep all good let's crack on awesome so five six years at cognizant tell me why yeah so it's quite an interesting journey so i actually I actually started my career um, not many people know this. I've done like two weeks in recruitment initially. Um, <laughs> you kept was, that quiet. <laughs> I did keep that quiet, right? Um, so I've done that for two weeks. Um, and I, the one thing that I loved, I always wanted to go. So my backstory was when I initially wanted to go into sales, um, it was a very, very weird way of getting into it. But I, I just Googled online and I was like, well, what do the most successful people like actually do in their career? And when I was in university, I was just, I was super curious about how, you get to that top one percent, and um, and it just most after reading multiple articles, it just jumped out that sales was the foundation for success. Um, to actually have control of your own destiny in terms of income, uh, career trajectory, and stuff like that. So uh, when I graduated, um, I wanted to join an early stage startup. I knew that that was something that I really, really wanted. To. I had exposure of that during university. Um, and there was this like recruitment company that popped up that was like a spin-off and it was really, really exciting. Um, and I got there and I was just like this, I didn't this really like what I signed up for. It, like balancing the candidate and the client. And I was like, this is completely out of my control. Like I, I really, really struggled with that. Um, everyone thought I was mental. Like for, I just like, I was a job hopper. Like my parents were like, what are you doing? Like, this is insane. Um, and then Cognizant came along and it was solving one of the core issues that I had at the recruitment company that really, really bugged me, which was I was spending 50, 60, 70% of my time, like trying to find the right people, trying to find the right email addresses for these people. And I was, I was kind of like a deer in, deer in the headlights. I didn't have any direction in terms of where I was going. Um, and then this UK company came around, um, and it was just a really, really exciting proposition. It was like the second hire, um, in the UK sales team. Um, as an SDR, like very, very gritty, like wearing many hats. Um, and then ever since then, we've really just, I think one thing that was great and why the reason why I've really stuck around is like the strategic direction in terms of where we're going. And I think this is something that people really, really underestimate when they take new roles. Um, like what's the leadership team? Like what's that end goal and vision? Um, and I, I've been entirely bought into that the whole way through over the five year term. And I think as we've grown as an organization as well, 
like there's been points where I've been limited or capped to an extent in terms of where I'm going at that current time. And we've always brought in a more experienced leader that sits over the top. So for me, it's been like a learning curve as well as we've gone from naught to five, five to 10, 10 to 20, and then 20 to 40. Every time I've had like a new leader come in that I can look up to, learn from them, take them foundations. And then eventually, like you said, Nikki, like the average tenure is like two years. So this is one thing that I'm always trying, I don't understand really with salespeople is you get to that 100% efficiency at like the two year mark. That's when you know the product, you know the market. And that's like the average span of like an AE or a rep. And for me, it's just baffling because that's when you're earning the most money. It becomes a little bit mundane and a little bit, um, yeah, mundane is probably the correct word for that. But um, yeah, I think that that turnover of staff, like every two to three years does present opportunities for people to stick around. And that's really kind of, I've been at the forefront of that. And a lot of my team as well, like my enterprise account executive team, average tenure there is like three and a half years. Yeah. Um, and for quite an early stage company, like we've only been around five and a half and we really went to market four years ago. So, and these guys now are signing seven figure deals. Um, and that's, that's unheard of when you think about in a four year term straight out of university or college or school. And now they're sitting as enterprise AE signing some of the biggest logos in, um, in the States. It's pretty, pretty bizarre. I mean, listen, I think there will have been lots of challenges and lots of things have been proud of along the way. But before before I forget, I'm going to jump on, on one piece here is, you know, having not been in sales forever, having been out of school and in a totally different profession and getting into sales and, and recruitment for me. And, and obviously my world is, is, is a lot more sales and client, you know, and, and I have another team that focus on, on that candidate side. It's, you know, I, I recognise there were gaps. Right. And I think I'm very similar to you in the sense that mentorship and good leadership is the key to, to success. People always say hire people that are smarter than you. And I think you hear that all the time, but you don't always see people going about it in the right way. You know, they mm. want people to go and do things to make them look better rather than bringing people in to make them more successful or empower them to, to be better and, and grow. It takes a lot of, um, I guess, being extremely humble to say this is a gap of me. You know, and and very rarely are people super excited with lots of people coming above them because they probably see it as stinting their opportunity to 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 progress. So how talk me through that, right? Because you guys have got an amazing progression within Cognizant. You've got a team that seem to be super bought in. Um, you know, the tenure is is excellent. You know, how how have you created that environment? You know, how have you continued to grow? new people coming in who will have their own ideas, but how have you managed to keep everyone's eyes on the price? Okay, so I've been chatting to quite a few people on this recently, and I think there's like, there's very diverse views here in terms of like building like an internal engine comparative to, because I think there's comes a point when you need to put fuel on the fire and you can't physically promote everyone internally. So you do need sure. to get external talent at that point. But if I'm, if I'm looking from like our, our engine room, which is like our SDR AE team, um, like my viewpoint is like the talent pool very, very early is exceptional. Like for people going in at that SDR level, there's a huge quantity of amazing, amazing candidates. So if you give them the right coaching and nurturing, they're going to be like the top 1% of, of salespeople. Yep. Uh, and as people become more tenured, like you, you lose the ability to kind of mold people as well. And I think what we've done at Cognizant is we bring someone in 
quite inexperienced. We train them cognizant way that we want them to to sell, understand the product, understand the market. We get them to that optimal potential. We yep. give them a career path that's very very tangible, and we say based on X metrics or based on X deliverables, like this is a career path that you can hit. Um, and that really excites people, and I think that gets people. And they see as well, like they see case studies of individuals probably like myself or like a Charlie Bill in our enterprise AE team who been in the business three, four years. Yeah, and he's doing like, well. Yeah, I, I can do that, right? I, I, there's actually someone physically that I can I can see myself exactly the same mold of when they came in as an SDR, exact same talent potential. Yeah. Um, and that really inspires them, I think, to, to stay in the organization. I think one thing that millennials or Gen Z love, and I think something that I really liked was like, it is kind of bad but like title inflation to an extent right so give someone like constant people always want constant gratification and they want to see themselves progressing up quite quickly um and i think kind of the old school mentality is like um like people need to sit in the seat for two years no no title change anything like that that's not yeah. how today's like workforce operates like people want to see progression and it might be having different tierings of sdr like sdr1 sdr2 sdr3 but, but, they want, but they want to know they're going in the right direction. It's a, it's a kind of a that external pat on the back. Exactly right, and it's it's amongst their peers, like knowing that they're progressing. Like there's there's lots of benefits to it. Um, but yeah, back to your point in terms of like how how do we retain the people? That that is one of the core reasons is we we explicitly say in like our SDR manager David, um, his ethos is like this should be the best place for you to start your sales career. Um, and that's what he says during the interviews. And I think that kind of runs through when you look at our A team today, it's it's 85% internal and we're at like nearly 40 million ARR. And we've, take, we've taken some hits, right? In terms of like quota reductions and stuff when we moved up SDRs, it was very, very shaky. But yeah. like one of one of my mentors who um, I work with scaled it, scaled companies to nearly a billion. And he said that it was it was the best way to do it was internal get the best talent in, build a career path. And you, if you retain them people, that's how you, the domino effect in terms of trying, trying to grow that revenue. I think for you and I, we're both trying to grow and scale, um, go to market teams, right? So there's a lot of synergy there. You know, obviously we support across all, all functions globally. So, so, but I think the same thing applies, right? Whether you're in manufacturing or whether you're in operations or finance, you're always looking every year, how do I get that little couple of percent better? How do I get that little bit more efficient? How do I up targets a little bit without the team saying that's not doable? And I relate this back, you know, this year I totally changed my kickoff to not being generic, but I made it a, almost like a, a tee off rather than a kickoff, right? Because I was saying, you know, whether it, and I went to golf because one of the, the, the team members I have is a scratch golfer. So I thought, you know, get him bought in other people will be like we, we did a golf event etc we did the top golf and it was almost every year there is a number one in golf but there are thousands of people trying to be that number one and that number one is trying to get that little bit better number two and three know they need to put the work in to get that little bit better and it doesn't come from luck you know totally you know it comes from foundations it comes from people around you collaboration hard work strategy and, and and to me, the more and more we spoke about this as a team, the more I was like, this is like so, so much synergy here. And it definitely sounds that you guys have found that right balance. The only flip side to that, as I always say, you know, the most successful teams, you know, and you've used 
you've used this already, but I, I again, I need to stop using the football analogy, but it's my life, right? But when Manchester United were at the top of the table, every year they would bring in another superstar striker and people would say they don't need that, but they won the title again and it kept everybody on their toes. And I think there's that balance between having the homegrown talent versus top talent and, and, and making sure nobody stays stagnant. Um, so yeah, I think you guys have done a, an absolutely awesome job of that to have. But again, let's let's talk about the current crop, right? The Gen Zs, the Millennials, the you know the the hesitancy, the itchy feet. I guess is it what is it about you know individuals nowadays that aren't just content doing a good job for a good company making a lot of money? What is it about? Because you see a lot of people right now that companies have had X and Y seed round that have hit mm. so much ARR. And almost then very quickly, you see people saying, you know, I've had an amazing ride here for the last three years, but now I'm joining this other one. Is it just purely that extra money? What do you think is it that drives the most successful people forward? So if I look at our sales team, I, money is a motivator for sure, but I don't think it's the core motivator. Like, so little things right that we we do so for example we do like a, we do a presence club every year we do uh like company off sites we do like team bonding events that is the stuff that firstly everyone needs to be hitting their targets that's like that's really really important i think if if a sales rep's in an organization where the quotas are just completely inflated and everyone's hitting 50 percent, that creates a really really toxic environment so a rep needs to understand how they can hit their number mathematically and be able to work it out that's like the foundation, I think, of like a successful sales rep, sales rep yeah. staying tenured in their in their role. And I think a lot of companies get that wrong. Like they, who's my best sale, who's my best person, and that's the target for everyone. Exactly right. And the board are putting pressure on to grow two hundred percent, and it's just a, a numbers plucked out the air, right? In terms of what they need to hit, like that is not how you build a successful sales team that's tenured. And they need to they need to understand that. But yeah. back to the point about um, like what keeps people in the role, I think it's really. People want to come to work today with like a purpose and understand like like there's a purpose behind it, what they're actually doing. Um, and also as well, it's probably the fact that yeah, they want to they want to they want to grow. And I think like the co- coach the coaching culture of people like progressing, and that doesn't necessarily mean monetary progression. Yeah. But it means like developing in their in their role as like a sales rep, skill set wise, um, etc. I think that's that's the reason why people stick around. I think when people have been in a role for two, three years, their manager take their foot, their managers take their foot off the gas. They're like, this guy's absolutely fine. Like, or girl's absolutely fine. They can just kind of coach a little bit. They're always going to hit their number. That's when you tend to get people at risk. So I think that continuous development of those individuals. And if you don't have the skill set internally, you like get the mentorship. Um, I think that's one thing that, good point. that's, yeah, su- that's, good that's point. super, super important is, and that's something that's been super useful for me as well is that, our CEO understands that he's always been mentored. He's always had a mentor at different stages um, yeah. and he's always done that for key leadership. He's always given them the opportunity to, or anyone in leadership to get someone next, the next phase above them that they can learn from. Mm-hmm. Um, we do try and bring that in house, which is what you, what we were talking about earlier about bringing those exceptional superstars in that have been at the next level. But if we, if we don't have the bandwidth capacity to bring them in house, get them external viewpoints, um, and that's that's been super successful. That's helped our middle managers, um, and it help, it's helped in loads of different regards. What's the biggest challenge you've had personally as as a leader over the last couple of years? 
Um, putting, you on, putting, putting you on the spot here. I know, yeah, but... and I think on the spot. I'm trying, I'm trying to think back in time. There's been loads of. It's loads. just been that successful. There's not been any challenges. No, there's right? been there's been a lot. <laughs> I'm trying to think which, <laughs> see which ones are appropriate for this and which ones aren't. Um, now I think like I think one of the key things is you don't know what you don't know, and I think that's probably been the biggest challenge for me. Is we we face some quite big obstacles like scaling up. I made some big mistakes in terms of potential hires that I bought in. Um, not not massively drastically bad, but like I think you need to. There's been instances where. I probably should have talked to other people who have done stuff before before I actually pulled the trigger myself. Yeah. Um, but th- there's not really been anything drastic, drastic, drastic. I think the hardest challenge today is exactly what we're talking about in terms of like we've got some exceptional, exceptional sales reps. Like how do we, how do we keep them motivated? How do we keep them in the role? Um, and that that isn't ever uh, something that cannot stop. Um, actually building career paths for people that have been in the business five years and are selling to the top one top FTSE 100 companies like what is the next step for them right and making sure they're developing because they are they are the sales is the engine room of an organization if if you lose your top two three sellers like that's not not a good situation well that's it right I mean I think I'm a big believer in you know having realistic goals realistic expectations but I also think if you set the bar too low people will never ever achieve their true true potential and it's almost like I know people typically say, like, try and have your targets for whatever you're doing in life in that median type level. You know, don't have it all up here. But I think it's you need to have that foundation, that structure, and that belief that up there is possible. And how do I get there, right? Because a new rep coming in, looking at an old rep that's got all these key accounts that they can call upon, etc., they're almost like, well, I can't get to that. So I think having the metrics behind that to say, well, here's how that person got there, and here's the the, the graph that they put in, and 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 obviously the learnings uh, off the back of that, I think I think is key. I think this is really a really really difficult point for people, right? They can't hold. You you mentioned it earlier, right? Two years is the tenure. Two years is also the point where year one is half ramp, get consistency. Year two is is, is do well and grow, and then the person leaves. You know, when we we just think of that, it's so frustrating. I've been approached five or six times in the last few years. Why are you still there? Five six years, and I'm thinking, well. I'm being challenged every day. I'm excited about where we go. There is a strategic element to my role. We are scaling ourselves. Why would you want to leave that? And and I just can't wrap my mind around people that chase the extra 10K sometimes. I understand that in the environment we're in, but I think if more people stuck at things more often, it'd be a better world for, for, for everyone. Yeah, I think you, security you, as well, right, Nicky? Like, curiosity is a huge one like the current climate today like my most tenured sales reps like they're not going to be we know that they're going to deliver it irrespective in the downturn like you move into a new role in today's in, in environment like potentially you're the first one on the chopping block right so i think there's a lot of there's a lot of value from a monetary perspective like you're in your rhythm you're in your flow um you get trust internally people get to know like your ability um there's so many elements there's so many benefits of staying in an organization if you're getting the right support and you're growing um, yeah totally and you're right it's people second guessing you all the time like saying why even here five six years like it's you need to back that off a little bit and focus on like are you happy are you happy I know. Pay? you happy you and i are seen as stale leaders at the moment you know being yeah. in there that role for five six years yeah you've got it easy over there etc and i'm like 
who doesn't like having an impact? You know, I'm very fulfilled in my role. You know, I'm being rewarded for, for my role and I feel appreciated in my role, right? And I think it's, it can't just be a top-down leadership thing, right? You've got to really understand your team, no matter the function and what it is that drives them and what it is that's important to them. Like you say, it might be the commission plan. It might be that trip to Ibiza that I think it was last year you guys went on that, right? CEO and everything. That would motivate me, right? Not Maybe not everyone, but that would motivate <laughs> me. And I guess it's trying to find the the common ground across your team that motivates everyone, even if it's intrinsic, one-on-one, team, et cetera. And, and you guys seem to have done that super well. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, you're absolutely right. Like, it's different motivations, different people. Like Some guys on our team are, are so money-focused. Some of them are praise-orientated. Like, you need to understand that and make sure you've got a blend, um, blend across York. So you're also an investor and I believe, 12, 13 other companies at different times or right, or right now. Yeah. Talk, talk me through that a little bit. I mean, obviously it's not, you, you're someone that clearly likes mentorship. I'm a huge fan of mentorship. I think nobody knows everything and you only know what, what you know and you don't know what you don't know. Totally big, big fan of, big fan of that statement. Why, why the investment? You know, talk, talk me through that next phase of, of your career. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, I think there's two things that I love. I love startups and I love money. So, um, angel investing kind of tick the tick the box of both of them um now i think like one thing i like is i like i like giving back um and i think it's really good to knowledge share and i think the, the benefit of angel investing for anyone who hasn't done it before is um if, if you're in your space and you're kind of specialist in your space people will make space for you in like very competitive fundraisers for very very good companies um and firstly it's exposure if you want to build your own business at some point and you get such a good understanding of how how people should put their proposition across like how you go for different stages at seed pre-seed series a um but also as well it's it's very very good from a network effect as well like i've I met some exceptional people in the vc world um some really, really exciting startups and for me like being able to and, I'm, and I'm sure sold cognizant on a good rate to a couple of those as exactly, well exactly right exactly <laughs> um, <laughs> that works that works good um <laughs> Yeah, I think I think angel investing is like such a such a good thing to do if you if you if you're involved in like the SaaS ecosystem, like there's there's so much money that's being pumped into some really exciting companies. There's some really good government tax breaks that you get on the back of it. Yeah. Um and like so basically what we done, just to give you a bit, everyone a bit of context, is we set up like an angel syndicate for yeah. um like VP sales, um, anyone in like a sales profession or go to market role. And we collectively come together as a unit and we invest in companies that we think we can provide support to, but also we think have got a game changing proposition. Um, so we are sharing knowledge, but we're also as well investing money in companies that we think are going to be really, 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 really successful. Looking at, we absolutely share friends and the likes of Trainio and Reachdesk and different companies like that, right? So, I mean, it's to me, it was super exciting to see you launch the, 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 the syndicate, but then also the companies that you're already supporting, right? And I think you've clearly got that startup excited vibe, but I guess it's very, risk, very risky to just leave what you're doing and go create a startup. I guess you get the best of both worlds, right? Because you get to do what you're doing and the training, the journey that is Cognism. You get to work with other like-minded, you know, um, entrepreneurs, if you want to call it that, or uh, people that like money as well. And then you get to support early phase leaders or entrepreneurs with ideas that maybe don't quite have the funds or the, or the, the mentorship to go and make that successful. So 
I mean, I think it's, I don't know where you find the time to do it all, personally. But 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 how do you do that, right? Because your ro- your role is a role in itself. My role is a role in itself, and I think we're both people that bite off more that we can chew in some point. So how do you make that all work? Um, I think when we built like the idea of like the syndicate when we built it is very very low touch. Like it's not a we do one deal a month. It's there's three of us that run it, and it's it's kind of that that's kind of the capacity that we can we can allocate to it. Um, and I think that's really important as well. Is like don't take don't take too much responsibility on and don't say yes to everything. I think I was guilty of that probably about two years ago, like like hundreds of podcasts, like advice when companies came around, like you need to be very careful with your time. Yeah. Um, so I think from a from the syndicate and work perspective, like it is, it's like evenings and it's it's a long game, right? Like we're not making any money on the syndicate. Like at the moment it's, it's really, we, we built a community of over 400 people. We're, we make our money on the carry. So when companies exit, we get a percentage of that. Like it, it's not a, we're not really doing it for short term game. It's really to, it's that snowball effect. Like we can get to a certain point and then we can start monetizing it. I think that's something that I was taught is like build a community first and then start monetizing that community later. Um, yep. And that's really kind of the ethos that we're trying to build. Look, I think it's, a, again, an awesome idea. I think in today's world, everybody is the expert. Everybody wants to shout about what they're doing. You know, there are so many things like this, you know, podcasts, webinars, you know, um, networks, etc. It's It's which ones truly provide value, which data points, which posts the people out are the ones, how do you cut through the noise and get you know, the the stuff that really matters. And and I've always found for you know, again, not to blow smoke here, but your posts are your post on LinkedIn, very well followed, very well connected, but you're almost giving away unbelievable content week after week after week. You know, you share things about the journey that you're on, that Cognizant are on. And and sometimes people could say, well, folk could just copy that, right? But it never really seems to seems to happen. Um Again, you guys have been on a, a super journey, right? And and one thing you mentioned to me in the past is you need incremental steps to being successful. Um, talk me through what, what what you mean by that and how Cognizant are doing just just that. Sorry, Nick, I don't know what post you're referring to. Apologies. No, no, no I, as a conversation previously, you mentioned, you know, having incremental incremental steps for success, you know, having a foundation for success is, is super important. You've got that startup phase where it's about everybody does everything. But as you scale, how do you put the right foundations in place so you don't limit people, but you're almost enabling them to be super, super successful? Okay. Um, I think one thing that, I noticed because I joined Cognizant when we were like four employees, right? And the exposure you get at that level to every single like department head or um, like you're, you're so involved, like it's like the CEO's sitting next to you and you can hear conversations that are taking place. You've got products sitting next to you. Like that knowledge that you're getting is like so, so, it's so unique at that early stage in the business. And that is not scalable. Like having that yeah. exposure to everyone and being able to tap someone on the shoulder who's like the CEO and be like, okay, help me here. Like, what can I do? Like, that's not the, that's not the same when you get to a company that's like sure. what we are today. So I think as you scale up and it kind of was at like the series A point that we really started like documenting everything. Cause we had all of it in our head and we like, for example, I was managing the AE team, but I didn't really have anything written down. It was just, I had a team of six. I could very easily sit down and regurgitate the same thing again and again and again. What are you doing that works right? Guys, try that. How do we collaborate? Go. Cool. 
exactly right and that that was fine to a certain phase um and that that worked right like but the thing is like i, I couldn't i couldn't repeat myself if we started building a new team like i can just duplicate me and have two managers managing two separate a teams and that's where yeah. at that point that's when you need to start really getting the stuff out of your head and getting it down on paper um and once you get it down on paper that's when you do that kind of enablement piece and i think for me i think enablement is going to be the biggest like in the next like two three years like companies are really really going to start focusing on enablement because they're going to see the value that it does it does bring for scalability and that that ramp time everything it, it's such a such a value add but um yeah that, that's really how we've done it was we're very numbers based like yeah. everything's based on data like when we build the team we know we need x number of sdrs to hit x revenue like that's that's always the foundation of how we've done it but you can't do that if you don't have that central knowledge book um yeah and that's easily accessible and that's trained down to the team i mean uh, i think data's become even more important right whether it's sales whether it's business whether it's supply chain whether it's you know delivery that, that doesn't matter you know data is becoming super super important i'm amazed at just how big a part data plays in talent now you, you mentioned it yourself earlier right i might have made slightly that wrong hire where you set up for success first and foremost going into that process based on what you have internally or what you don't have internally at, at the moment what is out there it's easy to say loads of people have sdrs or aes but what makes that one percent how do you be yeah. sure it's that one percent you know and, and and be really really confident and that is the right person that i'm bringing into to the team and and i you know i can't believe just how many cfos are involved in you know us bringing on new companies or working on a specific deal anymore and they are super keen on how are you going to go about filling this role if we don't have data there on our experience or process mm -hmm. the ta the current talent pool we are not winning that you know and i think i guess it's the same for for you guys it's great to have a a case study and good people but the more data that you can provide that business case to any client the the better going to, going to finish with one point um because i appreciate your time is, is super valuable but a recent post of yours was around discounting yeah right and and i think right now in the marketplace there are lots of companies that are you know reducing headcount you know people leaving nervousness etc what i've loved about this conversation is you like us are on that growth phase you know so for every you know i think it all comes back down to mass media right but we always hear about bad news travels faster than, than, than good news always you guys are a good news story and you are very proud of you, you, your approach your believe in the product you've got the experience it's probably a little easier for you guys to not to not discount but yeah. you mentioned it's a win-win i've always been a big fan of that win-win with a client i like the word fair what's fair for you and i Talk me through how Cognizant and you um, yeah. make sure it's a win-win for Klein and, and Cognizant. Yeah, so I'll, I'll link back to a story. Like, I went out for like dinner the other day and I went to a restaurant and they they like bought over like a free dessert at the end of the meal. And I was like, whoa, like this is abnormal. Like, why, <laughs> this why was for your, your birthday? Like, no, no, it wasn't. It was no, just like not even that. your birthday. <laughs> and I bought it over and I was like, wow that created such an impression like it was like and it's really made me want to go back to that restaurant right and I, I keep telling everyone about this restaurant like who i know like it's great it's great it's great and i think the same can be applied in like b2b SaaS, right and this is kind of that kind of win-win that you were talking about like it's little concessions at the end of the sales cycle that create such a buzz for the person that's buying it that you can do and i'm not this is separate to discounting right i'm not talking about discounting but i'm saying but like making that buyer experience like super super good it's like yeah. a really really good experience and i think when it comes to like 
discounting. I think the thing that really annoyed me about some of the comments on the post is like people saying, oh, you hold value 100% like all the time, all the time, all the time. Like, absolutely, that's what we do, right? Like, we try and sell at list price with the value that we can pay. In today's climate, like, there, there has to be concessions. There's concessions on payment terms. There's concessions on um, multiple things, right? Whether it's increased headcount over, they might sign today on a pilot and ramp up over six months, right? Like, yeah. But it has to be something that they, they're conceding on if you're giving them something. And I think that's really what I was trying to do with the discount, the discount post was like, what's important to us as a business? What's important to us as a business is a multi-year contract. It's getting our payments up front. It's getting a confirmed date for signature so we can forecast accurately. If they are really, really restricted and we know because we're in their procurement phase, we know that we're talking yeah. to all the right stakeholders. We want that stuff if we're going to concede and get you to that that point that you that yeah, you want to actually sure. sign. And I think a lot of organizations, uh, they don't ask or what, this is my perception, but they don't ask for the stuff that's really important for them. Um, and that's that's really, a negotiation should be two way, it shouldn't be one way. Um, it's almost, here's what we want, here's what we want. That's not how the world, that's not how the world works, unfortunately. Exactly awesome. right. So Love it's, that. It's, it's important, right? And I think one, one thing that, and I've done a post on this, like, when we said like we scaled from like 20 to 40 one of the biggest things that actually really helps as well is like pay your salespeople on what you want them to actually do like it, i didn't i didn't understand the impact of this like we we were doing single so when we first started congress we were signing three three month contracts uh then they were just knocking out three month contracts just knocking out three month contracts right and they were happy they were just continuously doing that and then we changed the commission plan to start doing annual terms and we'll give them like an extra two percent and it went to like 70 percent annual then we done on top of that, like two years later, multi-year. we done multi-year, and then we add another like one percent on top, right? So to get the right yes. outcome is like make sure you've built a process that uh, your sales team, sales teams, they follow the like book to a T. Like generally, if you pay them on something, they're going to do it. So make yeah. sure that that's aligned to what you want. I think that's part of it. Right? Don't need to sit necessarily reinvent the wheel here. Like they're going to do all the same things, but at the end of it, say this is what we do and here's what you can get for that. You know, you start with a multi-year and you finish on a year, still better than three months, right? So it's it's, it's, it's like you say, it's those concessions, but it's getting them to where you want them to be Yeah. anyway. And that discounting piece that you spoke about, Nicky, is like that multi-year discounting. The reason why they're doing that is because they're paid on that, right? So like when it comes to the negotiation, we made it very clear what they negotiate on. It's all linked to their pay. Um, yeah. That was really the point that I was trying to link, link them to together. Yeah, Makes absolute sense. Look, I think there is absolutely loads of wisdom in here for the salesperson, for the SDR, for the EE, for the sales leader, for somebody want to invest, for other businesses that are struggling right now to see their business grow. So thank you so much, Jonathan. It's been an absolute pleasure today. No, that's great, Nicky. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Okay, guys, bonus footage with Jonathan Eilett, uh, VP of UK and Ireland at Cognizum. We just did a super session there. I'm really looking forward to, to, to that entire podcast. Going to ask him three quick questions and, and steal a little bit more wisdom. Jonathan, top tip for scaling a business? Uh, it should all be numbers based, 100%. Based, based on the Based data. on numbers, like don't, if something doesn't sit right, there's two elements, right? Numbers is number one. And then also as well, like don't don't hire people, don't hire just to hit the headcount plan, hire for the right people. As you scale, C players start becoming managers, they hire C players, like kick back a little bit if you haven't got the talent pool at the right time, relax, find the right person.
Okay, and solution-driven obviously helps with that. Okay, next. Top tip to manage millennials, Gen Z. Um, I think in today's like hybrid, like over communicating, um, like it's, it's very, it's very difficult to with everyone dispersed, like make sure you over communicate on stuff. Um, that's probably one thing that I struggle with when we went remote is making I sure. I actually think that's not only a good tip for managing your own team, but taking that with your clients as well. Communicate early and often because typically the ones where they see foresee problems, if you let it linger, that client's gone. You deal with it, you become really close. Um, last one then, right? You had this ambition when younger to be super successful. You Googled it, right? I love that. Um, what is the top trait of a successful person? A top trait is hard work. Hard work trumps, um, uh, yeah, hard, one, hard work trumps intellect for sure. Like you need, to be, you need to have some intellect, but actually getting your hands dirty, like that's, and putting the work in, that's, that is the undercurrent of success. Hard, beat, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, I've always heard. So, so yeah, absolutely agree. Jonathan, thank you so much. Cool. Cheers, Nick.